0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com. Or email me directly at A-O-L-S-E-N at A-L-T-U-S-M-K-T-G.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I'm really excited to have uh Kevin Feldman uh, on the show with us today. Uh, Kevin is someone that I have known might not be the right word. I, in this social media environment, I'm not sure what you call it, but we've been kind of tracking each other and having conversations on LinkedIn for quite a long time now. Kevin is Director of Development at the Salvation Army uh, in Lake County, Indiana, and he's uh, also the Chief Fundraising Consultant at Fundability Rules, Uh, all-around solid guy, and I really enjoy um, connecting on on LinkedIn with you, Kevin. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Roy, for inviting me. It's it's really good to have you here.
0: I want to get into a a number of topics with you uh, in the hour that we have together. Before I do that, though, take a few minutes, tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and a little bit more about the work that you do at Salvation.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I, you know, I, I've been working in nonprofit fundraising for 34 years now. And I got my start in Detroit, Michigan, where I'm originally from. And, uh, and that, be- that began as a result of uh, volunteer work. I was working for General Motors uh, as a marketing manager, and, uh, and I was doing a lot of volunteer work with 4-H clubs and the Boy Scouts, and I happened to be uh, in a restaurant having lunch uh, with, uh, with a vendor at one time, and uh, just pouring my heart out, saying, man, if I could, if I could just get paid uh, yeah. for doing the kind of work I do volunteering, uh, I would love it. I would move in a minute. And there happened to be a lady sitting at the next table who whose uh, uh, appointment, luncheon appointment, uh, stood her up, and she was listening to the conversation. And she tapped me on the shoulder after we were done, and she says, "I, I work with the Metropolitan Detroit Youth Foundation, and we have a job opening for somebody just like you." So that's where that's wow. where it all began, and uh, I consider a, you know it was a God thing, right? You know, I mean, I God knew my heart. And he had me in the right place at the right time, and and that's where it all started.
0: That's awesome. And uh, so, good,
1: yeah. So now what I do with the Salvation Army, I, I I direct development. I'm a I'm a one person now. Salvation Army is a huge international organization, 160 years old, uh, but I serve Lake County, which is part of the Greater Chicago area, and uh, and Lake County, Indiana, is just across the border. And uh, and so I'm a one-person development shop. I've I've managed large groups and other organizations, international organizations, and uh, but but here uh, the challenge is uh, managing my time well, being very picky and choosy on how I how I fundraise. We have a lot of needs here. Uh, Lake County is growing, uh, and uh, and so I'm involved with all channels of fundraising. Uh, most of it uh, of course doing dealing with uh, uh, retaining donors uh, really really working on that and uh, and growing the existing donors and uh, and acquiring new ones so whatever whatever is most effective in those uh, in those three concentrations uh that's that's where you'll find me huh okay so.
0: I've got a lot of questions, but I want to zero in on that for just a second because I think a lot of fundraisers and you and I have kind of chatted about this online before, but a lot of fundraisers get stuck uh, looking at, you know, what's the next shiny object? What's the the next cool thing that we should be doing? Um, And particularly for one person shops, that could be disastrous. Talk a little bit about how you, like what's the filter that you go through and use to decide, yes, I should spend an hour there. No, I shouldn't spend an hour there. How how does that work?
1: Yeah. And, and that's, that's a challenge even 34 years later, right? You know, because I've got, I've got superiors that are, that are, that are tugging me in different directions. And, and ultimately it boils down to this is, is, and, and I find myself having to ask them this question. I said, I I said, you know, I, I will ask them, you know, uh, Will will this improve our donor retention? Uh, will this help us to grow donors and and, and uh, uh, help them to give more frequently with recurring gifts or growing their giving? Uh, will this help us acquire new donors? And and so those are are the three things I worry about most. And if it if it won't advance any of those, then I then I have to say no. Uh, that that uh, I can't be involved in it.
0: That makes good sense. I want to talk a little bit about leadership for a minute. So um, you know, you've been doing this long enough. You've you've run into a lot of folks, I'm sure, in the industry. Um, some who are great leaders, some who maybe maybe weren't fit for leadership roles. I, I'd be curious to get your perspective on, you know, what are the what are the top handful of of traits or uh you know consistent behaviors that you think are really important for an effective leaders in our sector?
1: Well, I I I I mean there's 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 good traits and bad traits and traits you want to avoid. But but I think I, I think the 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 number one trait, because it, it affects everything else, and it affects me. Uh and, and that's why I'm I've been very picky and choosy uh all along at at the positions I'm in and, and, and the positions I accept. And and that is, I think, really a, a fearlessness and passion for the cause being served by the organization. I, I think that's critical for a, a leader, because again, it will affect everything else. Uh, it will make you a better fundraiser, uh, uh, you know, if you're a one person shop and you're, you're re- responsible for leading yourself, but also uh, trying to influence others that you work with and helping in the process of fundraising. Uh, it becomes much easier to ask people to be involved in your projects and in your work, uh, help and ask people to volunteer uh board members and whatnot and ask people to give if you yourself truly believe in that cause and you're sold out on the mission uh, so that's that's number one uh and uh, and uh, I, I would i would also say that um that uh, uh, really really uh, understanding um, both donor expectations, uh, and also, uh, a program uh, people's expectations. You know, the balancing, and and I think uh, Andrew, you've you've read some of my writing on this on LinkedIn. Y- you know, there there's there's a tug of war uh, uh, almost always in nonprofits between the programs people and the fundraising people, and and uh, a programs. Uh, uh, generally under, uh, you know, if they're underperforming, we'll blame fundraising. Uh, fundraising, if they're having difficulty raising funds, oftentimes we'll blame programs. We need to have better programs. Something, give me something to sell, right? And I'm kind of on that latter part of, of that. I mean, I, I'm i a believer and I've been there, right? I started with nonprofits actually not in fundraising but directing programs for the Metropolitan Detroit Youth Foundation and and I know that that if you can if you can start the work regardless of whether you have the money you 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 know maybe you're getting paid by an organization to do it but you don't have the money necessary to really to really uh, operate a full-fledged program start it in a small way begin getting results and and being able to have something to show a donor, to show a foundation, to show a a, a business, uh, even in even in a small way, uh, so that so that they they are more accepting and will and will more likely buy into the work that you do. Um, and again, if you believe in the cause, believe in the work, you can you you can passionately sell that to uh, to volunteers and begin you know, begin uh, uh, your program with volunteers. Uh, you can also uh, get in-kind donations, not necessarily cash donations to begin your, your children and youth programs or, or sports programs or whatever kind of program you're looking to start. Uh, and so that that leader, I think, needs to be somebody who can best balance uh, the fundraising and program, and understand the importance of the two, and, and, and how they play against one another, and can actually help each other to achieve their their goals.
0: I like that a lot. So this is somewhat leadership, somewhat program, somewhat fundraising question. And take it where where you you know where you're led. But I, I often. Look across our sector and see organizations really struggling to be effective and to actually deliver on mission. Uh, you know, not not because there's a lack of desire to do it, but just because something else is missing. What are you seeing across the sector, and what do you think some of the biggest challenges are for organizations to actually be successful in the way they deliver on mission?
1: Well, I'm gonna. I, I hate to sound like a broken record. I'm gonna kind of go back to being being sold out on the mission and being somebody who's knowledgeable of the cause, and and particularly uh, the work that needs to be done in your in your given area, your geographic area, your service delivery area uh, as a non as a nonprofit. Um, the the organizations that that I've found. Underperform the most, both on both on the service delivery side and on the fundraising side, are uh, our, our organizations that that whose boards uh, uh, hire a CEO an executive director who might have the the the, the academic and work experience qualifications, um, but they don't have a knowledge of the cause being served. They don't have a passion for the cause being served because it's going to be, because that CEO, that executive director who hires other people, fundraising programs people is, is more likely to hire people that might have, again, the academic qualifications and the work experience, um, but not really have a, a, a good not working knowledge of the cause and the actual needs that are in their service delivery area, or the community that they that they serve, and that's that's of the utmost importance. Once you have that, and you can convey that message and speak effectively about about the cause, about homelessness, about hunger, about the uh, about envir- the environment, you know, about animal cruelty, what it, whatever that cause is, uh, the, the the better the better leader you'll be, uh, the better employee you'll be. And the more effective your programs and fundraising. I mean,
0: really good things.
2: Yeah, um, it's I have a quick that question, that. Andrew. I want yeah. I want to go back real quick, so so I I don't forget this. But you talked about managing uh, internal expectations. Um, I tell tell us a little more about that. Uh, I think it's a, a you know a lot of times, especially as a fundraiser, we're so focused on the external. Uh, managing donor expectations. But but talk to me about that process. What's that feel like for you? And, 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 and what does it look like in a practical sense for uh, setting expectations internally, especially among those people that aren't part of the development staff?
1: Right, right. Uh, very good question, Roy. And, and I think certainly planning, uh, I'm in the process of planning for 2022. I wish I would have had it done Sooner, but I'm almost done almost there. And I think planning is a big part of it and sharing that plan, you know, don't keep it to yourself. Uh, Let people, you know, let people know uh, uh, what, what worked and don't shy away from, from saying, Hey, you know, we we messed up here. We, we could have done better. Uh, We had something that didn't work and we don't want to do that again. And here's what we want to try and, and share that with, with people uh, internally um and set and set goals I, i'm a believer and always have been in setting lofty goals and i get challenged by my board and by my boss uh quite often that that they say you'll never reach that you didn't reach it last year and and uh, your goal was a little bit higher but my attitude is and my response is is, is that is that, the higher goal you set, and it and it's got to be somewhat realistic. I mean, don't 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 reach for pie in the sky. Uh, you have to have practical reasons also for for setting that goal. But but to set the highest goal you can practically um, helps you to uh, achieve the more realistic figures, the figures that will will really help you move the program, move the organization forward. If your goals are are almost too practical or basically too, uh, too reachable, right. Um, then, then you're really more likely to, uh, to, to, uh, uh, you know, undershoot your goals, you know, your, your, Mm. your goals, the goals you reach will be, will be less than what you would if you were aiming if you were aiming higher. And so, uh, so I think, I, I think sharing those loftier goals, with with people and and uh and being very straightforward with them and saying you know w- w- when when you mess up say look at we we messed up and and here's why uh and and here's how here's how we could do it better um i think is really the way to go to try and get everybody on the same page internally and uh and letting them know too that they're all appreciated i think being able to to show them how every position with the nonprofit, and, and you can practically name any nonprofit, and and I can show you how every position in that nonprofit has something to do with fundraising and marketing. It it it, it, it all ties back to fundraising, marketing, service delivery, and I think being able to convey that to employees and even volunteers really helps them get more excited about being involved in the fundraising. Mm-hmm.
0: You're the second person today to tell us that essentially everybody's got to be involved in fundraising and development. Mm-hmm. I think I'm encouraged by that. I would follow up to your to the conversation that we've been having right now. Um, I think a lot of particularly new fundraisers um, or junior level folks think about, you know, OK, I set a goal. I missed the mark. Oh, my gosh. How do I go tell the board? you know, fire me, I'm I'm gonna lose credibility, you know, people are gonna think I'm an idiot, whatever it might be, right? There's a lot of different narratives that probably swirl around in somebody's head. Um talk to those folks a little bit about, you know, how to have that conversation in a healthy way that that you know allows you to like you're saying be honest and, and transparent, but also you know protect yourself and and not not create undue risk for your career at the same time? How, how, what are your thoughts or recommendations around
1: that? Sure, that's a great question, Andrew. And and uh, and you know what? The reason I love fundraising, uh, I, I think the number one reason is I'll never know enough about it. Hmm. You know, fundraising, uh, there's always something new to learn. Uh, the landscape is always changing, so you always have to adjust. You always have to go back to the drawing board, and and for a new person, uh, that should be exciting for them too. But it should also be something I think, and this is another aspect of of leadership that 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 the leadership in an organization conveys to the board, it conveys to the CEO that, that they need to understand that fundraising is not. It, 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 while while you can kind of compare it to a science uh it's it's it, it, it's uh it, you know it, it, it's it's like covid19 right you know although on a positive side right it's it's it, 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 that 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 there there are new variants you know, oh. you know coming out all the all, all the time and you have to be prepared for those variants, right and so and so, the 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 one thing you will always be successful in fundraising not necessarily by the money you raise but by what you learn in the process sure. if if you make mistakes if you don't meet your goals you better be ready to explain to the board why you didn't meet them and say look at you know we learned some lessons i learned some lessons this year in fundraising or with this particular campaign And here is what we're not going to do uh, again this year. And here are some things that we want to do again this year. And I need your help to to help me to do this. And here's what I want you to do. And I think that's a great way to engage the board, protect yourself, whether you're a new or or an old fundraiser like me, and, and really to help move things forward and get better all the time.
2: Kevin you mentioned uh mistakes. What are some of the biggest mistakes fundraisers make? Uh uh new or old uh uh experiential uh a lot of it or not any of it. Uh what are some of the mistakes you see being made
1: out there? Um y- you know underestimating your donors. Uh, I mm-hmm. think is a, is a biggie. You, you you know, the the uh and I know Andrew uh has, has uh, uh, uh read some of the comments I've made and, and one of the things that that you can always quote me on is that I will I you know I will say time and time again, treat all donors like major donors. Uh because you never know, you just never know who's got the ability to write that check or the passion. To write that check, um, I, we have we have a, a, a donor here, and I and I love her dearly. I won't name her because she she remains anonymous, you know. And she's she's given to the Salvation Army for many years, and 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 she insists on walking in her donations, giving them and hand, handing a check. And she's a very very humble lady, and she lives you know she lives in Munster Indiana Munster Indiana's got a got a higher than average uh, income but it really is very much a working class community and she doesn't have a big mansion or anything like that you know i mean she she lives in a modest house and 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 you know this lady last year uh, and i and i really believe it happened to be about what we were conveying with the needs given the covid-19 pandemic and and Kind of the new needs that that sprang up, but this lady walked in a check and handed it to me, and the check was for fifty thousand dollars, and it blew me away. I I I I I knowing this lady underestimated her. I never would have thought that she she would be able to make a check uh, give a give money like that, and, and uh, um, but but it's not it, it, it's not the person's ability to make a gift. It's their willingness to make a gift and, and it's the difference between your ability to make a gift and your generosity, Uh, because there's a huge difference, you know, uh, uh, is, is Bill Gates generous because he writes a check for, for a million dollars to, to your nonprofit organization. I, I will tell you, no, he's not generous. I mean, that, that, that million dollars is nothing to Bill Gates. Um, Is this lady generous because she gives a check for $50,000 to our nonprofit? I would say very much yes, because that gift represents a sacrifice that represents her her passion and belief for the work that we do. Um, And that is, I think, the number one mistake that most fundraisers make is just underestimating and, and really kind of washing their hands of... Of the low to mid-level donors that might lapse, right, and not thinking uh, they're really not worth contacting. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a phone call to to our you know ten thousand twenty thousand fifty thousand dollar a year donor that uh, that we haven't heard from in a year or two, right? But I'm not gonna worry about the other ones. I think it's a big mistake.
2: What are the new trends you see coming up? Of course, we're all wrestling with the pandemic stuff. But what kind of things are uh, are are exciting in the fundraising world? What what do you see in philanthropy that uh, lessons we can all uh, uh, learn from, and, and and trends that are happening that that uh, maybe we could have predicted, but but most likely we could not have.
1: Well, there's 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 some trends that could be seen as as negative by some, you, you, you know, uh, uh, and but they're ones that you I think. I think fundraisers have to be aware of particularly fundraisers in 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 the humanitarian uh side of of nonprofits and nonprofit work um we've seen uh, particularly corporations and foundations kind of repurposing a lot of their grants uh toward uh toward everything from from uh, social justice initiatives uh to uh uh to COVID nineteen, to to the pandemic, where those funds may have been used uh, for education, for uh, 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 for uh, poverty relief, for 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 other things, and, and so and and not that that's bad or those initiatives aren't important, but but you know foundations and corporations, you know they're they're licking their finger to kind of test which way the wind is blowing, right? Mm. And we fundraisers oftentimes. Uh, oftentimes don't do that, uh, but but we need to pay attention to the foundations and corporations that that we're used to receiving uh, grants and gifts from, and seeing how their giving might be changing because we need to make adjustments. And the earlier we start adjusting for that to make up for those for the that lost revenue because their giving's being repurposed uh, to go to some other initiatives. Uh, I think the better. So that's one, that's one trend uh, that I've been seeing. I've been seeing more of, I think another trend, and this is a very good one. And one that I, I I believed in for so long is, is, and I, and I really, if you can credit COVID-19 for something positive, right. And it's, it's hard to think about that as positive, but, but for something positive, is that I've seen, and the Salvation Army is no different, more nonprofits working together, banding together, to, to kind of supplement the areas that they're weakest in or w- where they have the, the uh, fewer resources. And, uh, and we see it here. You, you know, our food pantries and our feeding programs with the Salvation Army often... You know, often we're kind of self-contained, you know, we, we served uh, uh, tens of thousands of people a year just out of, you know, just out of Lake County, right, it, with, with, uh, with helping to provide food for them. But, but we, we, we never thought of being a resource for other nonprofits and other nonprofits being a resource for us. Where, where we couldn't provide for, for those families, those individuals needs. So I'm seeing more of that. And that's a very good trend. And I think that's leading to something that we're going to see more of as well. And, and, I, know, and, and I know Roy and Andrew, you've probably been reading about uh, kind of the trend toward nonprofits banding together to raise money together. You know, why can't you do that? You know, if you're sharing resources, why can't you have a campaign together? Um, you know, you're not duplicating each other's services. You're supplementing each other's services. You're, you're helping whatever your cause is. You're helping individuals, families. You're helping the environment. You're ha- helping animal welfare groups, healthcare. You're, you're helping it become more comprehensive, more complete. Why wouldn't you want to do that? and i think foundations corporations and i and i think individual donors at all levels really like to see that kind of partnership happen makes a lot of sense
0: it's so interesting to me because so often you know fundrais- fundraisers particularly but even some nonprofit executive directors will say well wait a minute if we do that they're going to steal our donors right we're going to have to split the revenue and then eventually they're going to see the names and they're going to they're going to take them and we're going to lose money But every time I talk to a donor, I hear things like, why are there seven organizations in my city that do the same thing? Why can't they get together and partner up and consolidate, and figure that out? Or, you know, wait a minute, if this, to use sort of, you know, hunger and homelessness, if this homeless shelter is caring for people who have, you know, come out of hospitals and need uh, respite care, why can't they partner with a hospital? Why can't they put a clinic in their facility? all those kind of things. I, I think the, the market is ripe for that collaboration. I think you're totally right. How do we get, how do we help fundraisers and executive directors think differently about the perceived risk associated around that?
1: Well, and, and that's a great, that's a great question. Again, uh, you're both coming up with some great questions and I think it goes back to underestimating your donors. Hmm. You, you, you know, I think a lot of times, a lot of times we don't think i shouldn't say we i mean i i i, I always I, I i always think my my donors are 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 pretty smart people especially if they support uh, my the, the work that i'm involved in uh, but 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 you know you, you sometimes you have to put on the hat of the donor and and actually and actually try to think and feel like the donor for a minute right I, if you like and i'll use the salvation Army as an example if you like if you love the salvation Army and its work and and they've decided to partner with another nonprofit in order to in, in order to better serve their cause and to better help people right why would you as a donor stop giving to the salvation Army? why would you why would you uh, 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 reduce your giving? To the Salvation Army and split it with the other organization. If anything, you're if you're going to support that other organization, if anything, you're going to up the ante. You're going to you're going to raise your level of giving, and and maintain your giving level, or maybe grow your giving level with the Salvation Army, and and support this other organization as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's 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 pretty much my take and how I would kind of sell that, uh, uh, to a board and a, and a CEO who are reluctant to really kind of, uh, or, or their fear is I'm going to give away the store, right. Doing something
2: like this. Yeah. What's well, interesting. I know you've mentioned uh, a couple times, uh, uh, you're in Andrew's interactions on, on LinkedIn and, and, uh, uh just on social media. Um, uh, how should nonprofits think about employees who use LinkedIn? Um, you know, is, it, uh, you know, is that the kind of thing that you're uh, 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 it helps us to be engaged in social media personally as well as through our uh through the nonprofit itself? Uh, uh, talk to me about uh social media and the role you think it's going to play moving forward in the future.
1: Well, it it, it and, and I I will have people even with the Salvation Army disagree with me uh, uh, here. Uh, I'm sure, um, but but I, I I both personally and professionally I've never been a big fan of Facebook, uh, and and uh, I think you know I remember I rem- I remember back in, in in I I think in in two thousand two thousand six. Uh, I was that was the first time I opened up a, a a Facebook account, and the same security issues I was having then, I'm still having with Facebook. I, there are just a lot of security. You know, I've got I've got I've got people uh, uh, who, who are who are trying to pretend to be people I'm already friends with on Facebook, who are trying to get me to 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 friend them. And this is always this is. And there are issues that have always been issues. Uh, I I really like LinkedIn, and uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. And Andrew, you may have already figured this out. <laughs> I've got four different accounts on LinkedIn, and 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 I am always testing LinkedIn, and I, that's the reason I have four accounts. Is is I'll post things differently on each account and see how the audience responds, and each account. Has different audiences, and altogether, altogether, I've got, I've got a, I've got over, I've, I've got about 40, 000, 40, 000, uh contacts on on LinkedIn. Um, but but I, I've gotten more donations, more sponsorships, um, uh, just more positive. I've recruited board members using LinkedIn. Than I've ever I, I've ever had luck with on Facebook. Um and Very interesting. As, wow. Yeah. And as far as as far as employees using Facebook and LinkedIn, um, I I think that that uh certainly certainly if you want to use it on a professional level, it's good. I think when you use it on a on a personal level and you engage People in your circle of friends, right, and neighbors, family, uh, and you're you're still being very positive. You're being positive about your work, about the organization. I think a lot of times that can have greater impact than your professional persona on Facebook. People look at a nonprofit employee and say, "Oh, they're you know they're getting paid by that employer to 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 do that." Uh, I, I you know I think it's very good to to have that personal persona on Facebook and and LinkedIn. As well. The one thing I would caution from, and this is one that I see quite often, is uh, and I've made that mistake before, I'll be I'll be totally honest with you, is when you start crossing the line and you you what you're posting tends to be of a political nature, you know, it tends to venture into right. making, making judgments of people. The the one thing that I'm very careful of is, and sometimes I I fail and I make that mistake where where I come off sounding like I'm judging uh, a certain group of people, failing to realize that there are people in that group that support the work that I do, that support the Salvation Army or support. And you know what? Um, Whether you're a Democrat, whether you're Republican, uh, w- w- whether you're, uh, you know, whether you're a socialist or whether you just don't, you don't subscribe to any political belief, you know, you're neutral on that. Your hundred dollar donation means as much to the work that we do as anybody else's, right? So I, so so it's really really important to be careful of what you're posting, uh, so that you you come off being being neutral. In, in 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 your welcoming of people to kind of join your network and to support your work,
2: boy. The the LinkedIn thing is so interesting to me, Andrew. It reminds me of the conversations we've had of uh, direct response techniques where you have drivers and converters. Yeah, and it's obvious uh, that that LinkedIn is a converter. I mean, yeah. that's you can make transactions happen there, uh, where where Facebook may be more of a driver. Uh, it's still, it's still public relations. I, I remember, uh, uh, Tom Harrison telling us, uh, back in 2006, uh, six, Kevin, uh, former head of, uh, of Russ Reed saying Facebook is still PR, not DR. And, mm-hmm. uh, and occasionally you you see that birthday app or this unique thing that, that can generate some money on, on Facebook, but, uh, but I think you're right about that, Kevin. It, it, it seems like LinkedIn is more of the converter uh, for for building relationships and, and procuring gifts and making transactions happen.
1: Yeah, and I and and, and I don't know too much about you, Roy, but but I, I know quite a bit about Andrew. And Andrew does a fantastic job with his posting, and he's very strategic too. I can tell about about you know frequently liking other people's stuff, you know, because I think that's important with kind of, with, 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 uh, you know, be, being somebody who's, who's, uh, who's, who's a very uh, uh, magnanimous and, and, and wanting to, wanting to engage people and kind of bring them into the fold. Um, and, and that's, and that's really important. And, and a lot of times that's not something you could do well on Facebook because, uh, you know, a, a lot of posts, while they may be friends and, and contacts and people you like and whatnot, uh, a lot of posts have objectionable material kind of contained in it. You know, there might be, you know, there might be a phrase or something like that that they use. And so you just have to be a lot more careful when you're using Facebook.
0: Yeah, I think the other really positive side of, of having a strong LinkedIn presence for organizations is <clears throat> the people that you're talking to are you're sort of pre-qualified to an audience that you want to be talking to, right? I mean, you know, Facebook has a lot of users, Instagram has a lot of user, users, but TikTok, all of them, right? But um, mm-hmm. you know, just for what you can see, even publicly on LinkedIn, okay, I'm talking primarily to people who are at this education level, at this employment level. They have networks like this. They're accustomed to the, the value exchange uh, that you're looking for, right? Because that's part of why they're there. So I think it just lets you cut to the chase a lot faster, right? You know, I can I can I, I went right. on two days ago and sent messages to a bunch of people I've never met before. And we have, you know, four or five uh conversations and new opportunities bubbling up just from that, because people. Respond because it's what they expect. You know, I—it's I, just a, a lot more conducive to the work that we all do.
1: I agree. I agree one hundred percent. We're we're getting close to to the end of our time together here, Kevin. But
0: I, I wanted to to just hear from you. Um, you know, as fundraisers and, and nonprofit leaders have been through a lot in the last couple of years. What's um what's a word of encouragement or a challenge that you might put to the overall community? Uh, as we go into 2022, talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Well, I, you know, I again being a big believer that that fundraising and and the uh, uh, the service delivery side of things uh, are are very very solidly linked together, uh, and and you need to partner uh, together much more closely in order to accomplish the, the, the program goals and the, and the fundraising goals. Um, it, it's important, you know, it's important to know uh, the changing needs that are out there. Uh, and I, and I'll give you, I'll give you a, just a, a great example. And this is one of those things in the last few years that I learned, I never would have learned. I never would have learned this. I think if it had not been for COVID-19, Right, you know, and in in early 2020, uh, my working in fundraising, but being a one man shop, the Salvation Army runs very efficiently. I get a lot of calls from people in need, and and so I'll talk to them, comfort them, sometimes pray with them, and then I'll move them along to the the caseworker, right, to 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 get more to get more service and to get the. Uh, uh, so that they can get to know the caseworker, the caseworker can get to know get to know them. But but this frantic mother, uh, young mother, had called, and uh, and she said she said uh, I'm a single mom. Uh, I I'm a I, I'm a professional bartender, and um, I I went to work today, and uh, I, there was a sign hanging on the door of the restaurant that I tend bar in that said that they're closed indefinitely and I got no contact or, or nothing ahead of time. And she goes, I live, I live in St. John. Now St. John is probably the most affluent community in Lake County, Indiana. Um, And, and this lady said, you know, I have a nice home. I've got small children, you know, my, my husband and I are divorced. I, I, I depend on, child support and my service industry job and being a bartender to pay the bills. And she goes, I've lost that job now. And, and I have to put food on the table. You know, I never thought I was going to be somebody uh, calling the Salvation Army for help. Mm -hmm. And that, that woke me up. We were fortunately able to help this lady and continued helping her, you know, Uh, But we received so many more calls like that. Right. And, and so, so during that time we were getting a lot of people who just were caught off guard uh, in this COVID-19 situation, lost their jobs or had their hours reduced or had to work at home. You know, they were in, they were in real tight situations and didn't know what to do and were calling upon the help of Salvation Army and a lot of other organizations. Right. Well, well, you know, time went on and but we were seeing the need still still there, right? You know, there was still a need, and but it was new people we were seeing saying how after six months of COVID-19 we're seeing new people come in just for the first time needing help? Well, there was a second wave, right? A second wave of people coming in who had resources. They they had savings, they had investments, and they were living on those. And they didn't need the help of the Salvation Army. They thought this was going to end sooner, right? And so those those people started coming in, right? Now we're in the midst of a third wave, right? The third wave is, is that you've got people that, that are, are battling inflation. Right, they're in va- battling the supply chain crisis, the cost of living increases. Lake County, because we have so many people moving from Illinois and the Chicago area into Indiana, you, you know, housing prices have skyrocketed, rent has skyrocketed, you know. So, so I would say to to, to profit even even some of the nonprofits you wouldn't think would be affected. My my son, Skyler, uh. uh has worked for years for Humane Indiana. It, 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 it's it, it's an animal rescue, animal shelter, uh, and they do a great job. It's a it's a large organization serves all of serves all of Lake County, right? Well, COVID nineteen almost 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 a mirror of what we were experiencing. I mean, they were oh. they were experiencing the same kind of crisis from families who were pet owners from uh, uh, as we were. You know, from from people who are trying to take care of their kids, right? You know, and so I I would say to nonprofits here on out, work on being flexible. Don't don't think that everything's going to be the same for 2022. You know, what you see now is not what you're going to see maybe in the summer of 2022 or in the fall of 2022. Things will change, and things are going to be changing more rapidly. Be prepared for it. Be oh. prepared for it. That's
0: great, Kevin. Thank you so much for being here with us today. If our listeners My want pleasure. to get in touch with you, what's the best way for people to contact you?
1: Well, I would say uh, if if you want to call, if you want to contact me, uh, probably by email, and that would be good. Uh, that's uh, that's Kevin K E V I N. Dot Feldman, F E L D M A N, at USC, Universal, Sam, and Cat, USC, dot Salvation Army dot org. Kevin Dot Feldman uh, at USC dot Salvation dot org.
0: Or any one of your four LinkedIn
1: accounts, apparently. Or any one of my four, <laughs> you know, I and you'll notice I've got different photos. I I I, I I've noticed I change my two. name around. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, and and uh, so I try to have a different, little bit different persona, um, but still pretty much the same background. I don't change. I don't change the resume too much that shows. Me. Now I'm going
0: to have to go look for the other two.
1: Thank you again, Jim. <laughs> really appreciate it. Oh, it's a lot of fun, guys. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year.
0: Thank you. Have you read my Amazon number one bestselling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.